Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Well, greetings and good afternoon to you. Welcome to the December 8th edition of The Ride Home. Kath, beautiful day here in the city of Pittsburgh and across western Pennsylvania. I mean, I could have worn a sundress to work mm-hmm. today. Almost, right? 61 and sunny. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Just lovely indeed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if we deserve weather like this. Oh, we do. <laughs> of course we do. For as long as possible. <laughs> do you right? think? Without a doubt. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. Because it looks like we're going to go down into the 30 Sunday night. Yeah. It's that, But that's a blip. It's a blip. So, There's no snow in the forecast. It's beginning to look a lot like... I don't think so. No, no. I don't think so either. No. no. Which is why I feel like we should just put another couple of weeks in between what, be, now and Christmas. Just mean, to get some other things done. Add additional weeks yeah, to December? Yeah, and then maybe we could hope for some snow at some point. You're changing the calendar. I'm, I don't know. All right. All right. All right. Hey, listen, we changed the clock. We do. So Couldn't we change the calendar? A couple more what weeks in there. Deal? Coming up on today's Friday edition of The Ride Home, which I, I do think is the best one. The Friday edition, I think is, is, yeah. I I don't want to be biased, but from our perspective. Uh, We're going to talk about St. Nicholas, Mm -hmm. not Santa, not Santa Claus. The true. But the actual. The man. The the man. Not the myth. The dude. Uh Uh, That's coming up at 515 with Frederick and Matthews Green. Also, you can buy a Hemingway's typewriter, Mm -hmm. but would you use it? I don't think so. If I had Hemingway's typewriter, why would I use it? What am I going to write? How would that help you? It wouldn't. I mean, how would it help me? I'm not saying it would help you less than me. I'd be interested in touching the keys, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. maybe. I mean, not that I would buy it. I'll tell uh, an interesting Cormac McCarthy thing when All we right. get to that point in today's show. Anyways, coming up at 525, also the week in review. Mm-hmm. What have we been talking about? Eating, all that sort of thing. And then this hour, uh, No Congregation is an Island, How Faith Communities Navigate Opportunities and Challenges together. Nice. We need each other. Yes, we do. Plus the best movies of 2023, according to some person, who's not us. Very good. So without uh, all that, uh, let's move forward as we always do to start the show by looking at the news stories for the day. Kath, please give us the top four at four. It's Friday, John. Did you know? I do, and I appreciate it. December 8th, 2023. Happy Mm. birthday to my sister, Holly. Hey, Not today. It's tomorrow. Okay. But we're not on the air tomorrow. What is it? Kenny Wood's birthday. It is Kenny Wood's birthday. Uh, I'm glad you reminded me. And happy birthday today to Kenny Woods. Very nice. Excellent. Number one. Families in Israel are marking Hanukkah, which started on Thursday amid nationwide mourning for those killed in the October 7th attacks. And as they hope for the safe return of loved ones uh, who are still held hostage in Gaza. On the first night of the eight-day Jewish Festival of Lights, families of hostages, according to today's CBS News, lit a menorah in Tel Aviv with 138 branches representing hostages still in captivity. Captivity. Here at home, a spike in anti-Semitism since the start of the Israel-Hamas war has left many Jewish Americans wondering if they should put a menorah in their window or take it down. 
Speaking at the lighting ceremony of a huge menorah in front of the White House last night to mark the first night of Hanukkah, Doug Emhoff, the husband of VP Kamala Harris and the first Jewish spouse of an American president or vice president, highlighted fear in the Jewish community and said he's held conversations with representatives from across the community to see how they're holding up amid the Israel-Hamas war. Even as we face darkness today, I am hopeful, Emhoff said last night. The story of Hanukkah and of the Jewish people has always been one of hope and resilience. Number two, the U.S. has approved the first, the world's first medicine employing CRISPR technology. Did you read about this? No. A Nobel Prize winning discovery that promised a powerful new tool for modifying genes to treat disease. This new treatment, John, is called Casgevy and is developed by Vertex and CRISPR Therapeutics, cleared for treatment of people with sickle cell. The landmark decision by the FDA heralds a powerful new kind of medicine. This is super interesting. One that turns off or replaces genes to tackle conditions that have long confounded doctors and researchers like sickle cell. Several companies are developing CRISPR-based therapies for diseases, including heart disease, including cancer, and also rare genetic disorders. There is a long and interesting piece about this, so avail yourself of today's Wall Street Journal. Number three, special counsel David Weiss leveled a nine-count indictment against Hunter Biden late last night, accusing President Joe Biden's son of failing to pay, wait for it, $1.4 million in taxes Mm. from 2016 to 2020. And in case anyone's paying attention, I'm still waiting for my 2019 tax return. Still. Tax refund. Yes. Years after the fact. These charges, which carry a penalty for Hunter Biden of up to 17 years in prison, include six misdemeanor charges and three felonies, including alleged tax evasion and filing a false return. The indictment is 56 pages long. Prosecutors are demonstrating that Hunter Biden had the means to pay his taxes, but instead chose to spend his money elsewhere, including $683,000 in payment to various women, that's actually how it's labeled, and another 397000 on clothing and accessories. Read more about that at ABC News. And number four, in a historically terrible football evening in Pittsburgh, the Steelers somehow lost to the hapless New England Patriots at Heinz Field. As ESPN points out on social media, by losing to the Patriots and the Cardinals last week, both of whom were 2-10 and 10 coming into their dates at Acreshore, the Steelers became the first team over 500, now 7-6, and six, to lose back-to-back games to teams 8-plus games under 500. And that is your top four at four. I was in attendance. John, you were there in person. I witnessed firsthand the that debacle. That is uh-huh. tragic. Debacle, it was. It was a beautiful evening, chilly. Um, the crowd, I would say, was celebratory, okay. although filled with despair as the evening went on, mm-hmm. hoping against hope that somehow the tide would turn. But, of course, it never did. And even to the mm-hmm. end, there was hope for a yes, win. there was hope, to, even to the very bitter, bitter end, under two minutes to go. But it was not to be. I need this to, is just a bad team. I need to confess publicly that I turned it off. You did? I actually turned it off at when? the half. At the half? Yep. I never do that. I don't. I can't think of the last time I've done that. I don't want to say you're fair weather. I am fair weather. What you know why? Heck? It's so bad that I wanted to have a happy evening. And so I decided to watch something else. I was there at Accushore Stadium twirling the terrible towel and I late into the fourth that. quarter. I love that for mm. you. Twirling it. But I couldn't. Mm. I could, it was just... Pain after pain. That's a terrible yeah, team. It is a terrible And they team. don't care. Well, I'm not sure they don't okay, care. They a look blanket like, thing. Okay, you're right. They look like they don't care. Maybe so. 
I mean, I think they, they try their best. You think they do? I think so. All right, we need to take a break. When we come back, no congregation is an island. As much as you like to think that your church exists on its own in some happy little, you know, in, independent space, it's not the case. How faith communities navigate opportunities and challenges together. Coming up next is Jennifer McClure Haraway, Friday edition. It's the ride home. How are Christians to work together? We tend to be in our congregations in little bubbles and, and rarely venture out from church to church, let, go, let alone congregation to congregation. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, our first guest here on today's show, uh, Jennifer McClure Haraway. She's Associate Professor of Religion and Sociology at Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. She's got a new workout about this. And uh, Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you. So... I think we have a tendency to look at our churches like they're truly independent. Now, I know the different denominational structures are different, um, and so some are more connected to their overall governing body in the area. But even if they are, um, I I think it's a rare church that reaches out to another church in uh, in any real kind of partnership. Um, So... My uh, research shows that it might actually be more frequent than you think. Okay. Really? Uh, most, most of the congregations that I talked with had at least one connection outside of their religious group. And I think the connections within our religious groups tend to be a lot easier. They're more convenient to develop. There's um, a shared approach to faith and ministry that builds trust, but relationships across religious groups are just as important because congregations typically get a wider range of ideas and resources and opportunities to do ministry. Okay. So Jennifer, your new work, No Congregation is an Island, How Faith Communities Navigate Opportunities and Challenges Together. You you did a survey of more than 400 congregations in and around Birmingham, Alabama. Talk about that area. I'm sure, you know, even though it's uh, Alabama, it's not unlike uh, areas like Pittsburgh or uh, somewhere in the Midwest where there are people of all different faith traditions gathering together. But those 400 congregations, was there a, a common thread that you found as they shared or not? Um, so in, in our area is a overwhelmingly evangelical Protestant area okay. and um, largely Baptist as well. Hmm. Um, but what I found was that um, sometimes people in the more larger, more dominant denominations more stuck with their own because there were so many partners within their faith tradition. Mm. But many of the congregations from smaller faith traditions banded together to create uh, oftentimes a more ecumenical community Mm. to support each other. And what would they be banding together for? Like what would what would cause one church to reach out to another? So what I saw among more theologically conservative congregations was banding together over a shared understanding of the gospel and evangelism and bringing people to a relationship with Jesus Christ. What I saw among more progressive congregations and some non-Christian congregations where there was less theological similarity was a key tie over social justice and Mm. working together to make the community more just and compassionate. That's interesting. 
Let's talk about that. That's a very distinct uh, delineation between the two, right? Theology versus social mm-hmm. justice, but to maybe the, the same end, do you think? Um, yeah, I think it comes down to where um, where the commonality, commonality lies. So one of the quotes in the book from a, um, I think a Southern Baptist pastor in a small town said, you know, I'm connected to other Presbyterian or non-denominational churches in the area. And and I think it's important because we want the community to see that we're connected over Christ and working toward the same goals and not fighting over more, you know, uh, theological differences or worship differences or things like that. But in in other communities where there are more significant theological differences, um, I had a Muslim leader say, well, you know, we know when it comes to maybe abortion or sexuality that we are going to see it different than some of our partners who are progressive white churches. But when it comes to addressing poverty and social justice, we're on the same page. And so that was the point of connection. Interesting. That makes me feel really hopeful. Um, talk talk about your perspective. Um, I when I did the study, I did not really know what to expect in terms of how many relationships there were. Yeah, and so I was pleasantly surprised with how many there were, and I was very happy with, uh, I guess, how few congregations didn't have any connections. I was worried I was going to get a lot of that. Uh, But it does make me hopeful that congregations are finding partners. I think many congregations tend to be small, and many congregations don't have all the resources that they need to do ministry and the ministry that they feel called to do by themselves. And so it's important to build these connections because it allows congregations to do more and more the ministry that they feel called to do. Right. We're talking with Jennifer McClure Haraway. Her new book is called No Congregation is an Island. So, Jennifer, this is this is essentially, you know, super geeky in some way, sort of inside the yeah. theological bottle. Well, you know, and, and I think, you know, if you're a person of faith, a lot of people do get super geeky about their faith. They, you know, they, they want to mm-hmm. – this is cool. I mean, I, I appreciate this. Mm-hmm. So what are the tips? I mean, if people are, are listening right now and they're thinking, oh, this, this is right up my alley. If you're looking mm-hmm. over the fence, so to speak, at, you know, other denominations, even other faith traditions – and you want to connect, is there, you know, is there sort of like an inside track? Well, um, here are three pieces of advice I give in the book. Okay, good. And the first, and I think the most important one is to make whatever you do manageable. Many clergy who are often um, involved in making these connections have too much to do and not enough to do it. And that can lead to clergy burnout. Mm -hmm. And the last thing that I want to do is to give clergy one more thing they have to do. (laughs) Right. But my goal with the book is to help clergy and congregational leaders know that there is support out there and that they can benefit from it. So, But the first thing is to make it manageable. The second thing is to nurture close friendships. Close friendships, if we neglect them or get busy and don't connect, they can weaken. And close friendships are often where we find the most trust and the most rich support. So it's important for congregations to build and maintain those. 
but the third thing is that it's important to not forget about acquaintances. We often don't think about acquaintances as people who are important, as important or meaningful in our lives mm-hmm. as close friends or family members. But those acquaintances are essential because they often give us access to a wider range of information and resources and opportunities to serve in the community or or minister together. Hmm. So it's important not to forget those. That's good. You know, uh, we've been doing this show for for many, many years, and I think one of the overriding things, Jennifer, is that you see the split in, in denominations. Uh, the Presbyterians, mm-hmm. of course, uh, well-known. I mean, splintered off into any different uh, disparate groups, or Methodists as well. And so uh, going into this, when you knew this yourself, I'm sure, just following along, you see the different splits. W- was there, uh, are you more optimistic having done this research and the work and all these different conversations with all these different denominations in the health and vitality of Christendom or faith traditions in general? I am. I know there are a lot of narratives and data supporting them around decline and increasing conflict and polarization and things like that. But when I talked with these ministers and leaders, they they were very grateful for these relationships and very much focused on how these relationships were helping their church or congregation navigate opportunities and challenges. Well, listen, Jennifer, uh, this has been uh, a pleasant surprise. An eye-opener. Yeah, to hear this kind of news. And we want to thank you for your work on this. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. That's Jennifer McClure Haraway, Associate Professor of Religion and Sociology at Samford University, Birmingham, Alabama. Very nice. We'll take a quick break. Our weekly feature. This or that. This or that. It's coming up here in the right home of Pittsburgh's Christian Talk. It's Word FM. Well, that music signifies the beginning of this or that. It's our weekly feature. I have a list. I have a list. And off we go. Here's my list, Kath. A turtleneck. Well, we're starting right in. Okay. A dickie. <laughs> um, I, the dickie's just weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm choosing turtleneck. All right. Sticks. Journey. Oh, journey. Ten days out of ten days journey. Though they were in town last night, Steve. Sitting in rush hour traffic, taking the long way home. Taking the long way. The generic store brand, the national brand. The national brand. Pajamas, nightgown. Oh, pajamas. Hmm. What's night? Was it 1950? Toaster oven. Yep. Air fryer. Hmm. Air fryer. Hmm. Secret Santa. White elephant. Oh, they're both so enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm going to go with white elephant. All righty. A board game. Yeah. A jigsaw puzzle. Oh, a board game. Really? Oh, mm-hmm. jigsaw. Mm-hmm. That's tough. Bach. Beethoven. Uh, Bach. Dizzy Gillespie. Miles Davis. Uh, Dizzy Gillespie. Christmas shopping at the mall, sitting on your couch. Sitting on my couch. Oh. Jingle bells, Santa Claus is coming to town. Uh, both very uh, nice offerings. Um, 
I'm going to say Santa Claus is coming to town. All right. I enjoy the song. Rosemary Clooney. Vera Ellen. Uh, Rosemary Clooney. Mm. Grits. Oatmeal. I love them both. Mm. I love them both. Mm. I love them so much. Um, I'm going to pick grits. Oh, really? I don't eat them very often. No, no. They're they're so delicious. Having a mentor. Being a mentor. Having a mentor. Mm -hmm. The ticking of the clock. The turning of the calendar. What kind of question is that? It's a time question. (laughs) Ticking of the clock. I mean, I enjoy the ticking of a clock. Mm -hmm. I think I find it soothing. All right. COVID. The flu. Uh, well, John, I've had them both. Mm. I, I didn't enjoy either one. Choose your poison. Um, but I'm going to actually pick COVID because hey. I, I, the flu made me incredibly sick. All right. Oh, come all ye faithful. Silent night. Mm, oh, come all ye faithful. All right. That's my who doesn't that. Who doesn't want to be part of Joyful and Triumphant? Don't you love Silent Night? Not as much. It's so beautiful. It's not as much. All right, that's me. Okay. All right, John. um, Last night was a historically wretched Steeler loss (laughs) to the hated Patriots at home even. Uh, And it'll honestly take a long time to get over that if we're able to. And you were there in person. I was. It's too terrible to contemplate. Um, And so, out of compassion. Thank you. I give you the make yourself feel better edition <laughs> of this or that. All right. Thank you. Okay? These are all things that are going to help you to cope with what happened last Good, night. Are I you am ready? PTSD. I understand. Uh, number one, spend tonight with a big group of friends to talk about the loss mm. or spend tonight alone trying to forget as many details as possible. I will be alone. Okay. <laughs> yes. Solitude is good uh-huh. to no. lick the wounds. Uh, number two, feel the sun on your face, John, or spend time looking at the night sky. Uh, no, give me the sun. Will you? Yeah, Every I would do that too. Possible. Uh, eat out or eat in? Eat out. Okay. Yeah. Number four, new sheets or new towels? Mm, new sheets. Yes, that's nice, I think right? It's really nice. It's really nice. Wash them. Yeah, and then they. <clears throat> mm. Number five, turn your phone off or turn your alarm off? Oh, turn the alarm off forever and ever and ever. But we're just talking about recovering from last night. I mean, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Number six, go for a pedicure, John, or go for a massage. Oh, a pedicure. I'm going for a massage. Why not a pedicure? Pedicure. A lot of men go for pedicures. I'm sure they do, and God bless them all. (laughs) But you're not going to be one of them? No, I'm going to get a massage. All right. Continuing the Make Yourself Feel Better edition of this or that. Uh, Number seven, sing in the shower Mm -hmm. or (laughs) dance like no one's watching. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have done both uh, often, but I I prefer singing in the shower. Have you done dancing? Oh, of course. Like no one's watching. I don't know. Number eight, uh, pop bubble wrap Mm. or yoga? (laughs) Both can be therapeutic. The bubble wrap is far less painful. Mm, I'm going there. Okay. New car smell or sunscreen smell? Sunscreen. I know you love that. It's so sick. It's gross. Mm. Uh, Lava lamp or Epsom salts? (laughs) Epsom salts is like a surrender. Give me the lava lamp. (laughs) Um, Go to the gym or go to the bakery? Oh. (laughs) Give me uh, the bakery at Six Ways to Sunday. All right. Mm. Uh, Jigsaw or crossword? What? Jigsaw. That's... <laughs> yeah, uh, crossword. Really? Yeah. Okay. They're both rough, aren't they? Yeah, they you can be rough. Uh, cold therapy or sauna? Sauna. Okay. Turn up the heat. Uh, donut or bacon? Oh, donut or bacon. <laughs> both very yummy. Uh, I'm doing bacon. Uh, Boris Yeltsin's COVID parties or Dr. Oz's crudite? <laughs> <laughs> You could take your mind off things, yeah. John. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> Dr. Oz is a crudite. Crudite? Yeah, sure. um, George Santos or Elon Musk? Oh, boy. Uh, Elon Musk, <laughs> if I have to. Heaven help us. This or that. I'm happy to report that post-COVID, movies in 2023 have made a huge comeback. Ticket sales at your local Cineplex, the uh, Multiplex, or the independent theaters Mm -hmm. are doing very well. Wow. I have to say I'm surprised. I mean, I'm glad. Yeah, me too. But it was one of those things I thought after COVID was going to be, you know... People were just going to stay home and stream like they always have. Mm -hmm. But I think the good news is people want to go out. And especially if people who, if you love movies, you want the full experience. So you want the large screen. You want to sit in the dark with Mm -hmm. a bunch of other people and go at it with these incredible movies. And movie making, despite the strike this year, we'll see a little, you know, sort of downturn next year with releases. But despite the strike, there have been incredibly great movies out there. So lots of good picks. Even now, this is sort of like right now, uh, late December through January, the heyday of releases because there's a rush to get out, you know, those movies that have not yet made it in distribution onto the screen for Oscar nomination. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so lots of great movies. Now, we saw a movie this week, uh, The Boy and the Heron. This is... Um, uh, Miyazaki's. Oh, yeah. Miyazaki's apparently. Now, Miyazaki, if you don't know this, Miyazaki is an 82-year-old Japanese master filmmaker. And um, through his animation film over the many decades, uh, just incredibly beautiful, complex, very innocent films that probe deep into what it is to be human. Hmm. I think that's the best way I can say it without making it seem too trippy. Okay. On their surface, a lot of these films are mysterious and deep. Um First blush, you go, I'm, some, some of them you kind of go, I'm not quite sure what this is all about. But Miyazaki at the age of 82 and after multiple, multiple films, I, I would say that if you don't know Miyazaki, and especially if you have younger kids, kids, you know, maybe the ages of six or seven on up, I think that's when we first fell into the Miyazaki realm. These are wonderful family films that operate on a lot of different levels. So in theaters right now, supposedly, once again, because Miyazaki at age 82 has said this in the past, I'm done making films. And then a few years later, here's a new Miyazaki film. Mm. But at age 82, The Boy and the Heron, which is now in generally wider release, um, although I think the... um, Row House Cinemas in Dormont, which has occupied a new movie space in Dormont, okay. they are showing this film exclusively in that theater for almost a month. Wow. So highly recommended uh, for a family film experience, The Boy and the Heron. Really a great film. Okay. Um, on, I think on everybody's list this year has been the film Oppenheimer. Yes. Haven't you, seen it. It's a wonderful film. And if you're curious about... You, okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you rate it? 10 being best. Uh, I'd give it a solid 8. Okay. It's not the story that I would have told. I remember reading about Oppenheimer many years ago. Oppenheimer, if you don't know, is the father of the atomic bomb. His life story is fascinating. And the politics, so the social norms, the um, the genius of this guy, and what went on at Los Alamos in the, the, the desert... Um, the creation of the bomb and all those things. What a wonderful story. This is not the story that I would have told about Oppenheimer, but okay. that's neither here nor there. It's still a peek into the guy 
and the whole sort of engine of what it is that gave America the bomb and essentially ended World War II. So uh, uh, it's a solid eight for me. Okay. Yeah, a great film, Oppenheimer. And I think I think that's still in, lo- in local theaters. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon. This apparently, again, uh, speaking of so- swan songs, like we talked about with Miyazaki, this is Martin Scorsese's, perhaps, because he himself is in his early 80s. Is he really? And, you know, when you look at modern filmmakers, Scorsese has to be at the very top of that of many, many lists because of the body of work that he's produced since the 1960s here into 2023 with his, I would say, his ensemble cast of characters, which includes, of course, Robert De Niro, Leonardo DiCaprio, Joe Pesci, all those sort of mm-hmm. gangster films that, you know, really sort of drove um, uh, Scorsese all these many years has now devolved into something a little bit different here. And Killers of the Flower Moon is that. It's a story, if you not don't know, about uh, an oil rush and oh, yeah. what American Indians held on their right. property and their land and their wealth. And, of course, how that was essentially over time stolen yeah, from them right. once again. The trailer yeah. is one of the best trailers I've seen in a long, long time. I mean, it's just fabulous. Did yeah. you see the film? Oh, yeah, I did see it. And? I'd give it a, a, a strong nine. Wow, really? Yeah. yeah, it's well worth watching. Okay. Yeah. So the trailer isn't so good that I'm going to be disappointed in the uh, no, film? No, I don't think so. And believe me, it's a long film. I mean, you're going to settle in there. We went and saw it at um, at the Waterworks in Fox Chapel because they have those seats that recline. <laughs> That's right. You're in there for a good three and a half hours. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're not going anywhere. Um, I think it's an excellent film. Okay. Um, a film that kind of largely overlooked, at least I would think here in Pittsburgh, um, it's called um, Are You There, God?, it's me, Margaret. Based We're, on the book by Judy yes, Bloom. Yes, exactly. A young girl's coming of age and her family's joy and heartache, both per- perfectly observed in the book and the movie. And the movie itself is very true to the book. Okay. So do you know the book at yeah, all? Yeah, well. Yeah. Well, it's an excellent sort of recreation of the book. I would recommend that, you know, again, a family film. Is it a family film? In many ways, yes. I mean... Here's what, here's what I would say. If you hear me talking about movies, take my word for it. But then at the same time, do your own research because what's applicable for your family mm-hmm. might not be applicable for my family. Got it. So um, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. I, I-, I loved it. Uh, what else is out there? Um, there's a film right now. Um, it's called um, – what is it? It's – I saw it a couple of weeks ago with uh, Paul Giamatti. Um, mm, okay. And um, it's one of these films that they don't make anymore. Um, a film about, its I would say it's a Christmas time film um, that um, there's a, a boys' school. And uh, the, the boys' school is closing for Christmas time. And so um, all the boys go away, but then there are several boys who are forced to stick around. And they stay with, you know, the headmaster and the different people who work at the school. And Paul Giamatti, who famously, he almost got an Oscar nomination for... uh, He's so excellent. ...for Sideways, which is a film about the wine country. This is a film to me in many ways, I think... um, Wait, have you found the... I'm looking for it. Paul Giamatti. Yeah, I'm looking for it, but I can't... uh... Here it is. It's called... um... The Holdovers. Yes, The Holdovers. Got it. I'm bad with titles here, but really... and, And I think this film is also in theaters right now, 
it's a really great film. I mean, I can't say enough about this movie. Discomfort and joy. Yes, <laughs> it is. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a strange film, like from a different era. This is a film that would have been made, like you know, in 1979. But but there it is right now, and um, it's not a it's not a family film, but it's a film that you could see easily with your 15 year old or your 16 year old. Mm-hmm. There's no sex. There's no violence, so to speak. Of it's a relational film. And um, I, I really, I'd love to see it again. The holdovers. Okay. What about Barbie? Looking back on the year, I love Barbie. Now, Barbie came with a lot of social baggage, right? It certainly did. Yeah, and Barb there was a lot of conversation about the film before really anybody walked in to see the film. Right. One of those films that, you know, were advanced screenings, people who didn't see the film but had read about the film. Or people like, that saw it and were mad. Yeah. I liked Barbie. I liked it too. It was so much fun, wasn't I, it? I laughed. I thought it was so... Yeah. I mean, you cannot take that seriously. Well... But but you can take parts of it seriously. Yeah. They, they, the filmmakers tried to make it semi-serious. They were semi, making a point. Semi, but not to, the, not, not to the point where I'm going to get angry about it. No. Did you feel that Not way? in the least, no. Okay. Do you think people, do you know people who got yes. angry about it? Really? Yes. No. Absolutely. Angry because that. of the... They felt like it was anti-men. Yeah. I mean, you could read that into that if you wanted to. What's it funny, was a send up of a Ken, the doll. Yeah, exactly. That's what's so funny about it is anybody who played with Barbies, nobody ever cared about Who cares Ken. about Ken, right? <laughs> Which is what made it, I don't, I thought it was... I thought it was just clever Delightful. and funny, and yeah. I really loved it. Exactly. Okay, uh, a film that's in theaters right now that just came out. Star, uh, Bradley Cooper stars in oh, Maestro. Oh, Maestro. Which is the story of Leonard Bernstein. Now, look, I've not seen this film, yeah. and I'm highly anticipating this. This is going to be a weird film. This is undoubtedly, undecidedly not a family film. Right, right. Because I did not know this about Leonard Bernstein. Uh, he had... Um, Many sexual tastes that uh, that sort of fueled his genius, and apparently in this film Maestro, uh, it is one of the features of this movie okay. to delve into this, along with the genius and the music of Leonard Bernstein. Okay, so this sounds like a movie that Hollywood will love, right? And the vast swaths of America will middle dislike. America probably will we'll dislike, right? Yeah. But apparently uh, the the script co-written by Bradley Cooper and, of course, starring Bradley Cooper, it, it's up for a, a lot of awards. Mm-hmm. So hi, I, I can't Have wait you seen to the see trailer? It. No, you don't watch trailers. I don't want to watch the trailer. <laughs> Cracks me up. No, I don't want to see that. No. Um, Napoleon. Napoleon in theaters right now. I have several. I have not seen it. Ridley Scott. Several friends who have gone to see it in the last week and a half. Joaquin Phoenix stars as Napoleon. Now, um, say what you will, whatever knowledge, large or little, you have about Napoleon. Did you see it? I've not seen it yet. But it's one of those better films, apparently, by you know all the mainstream critics. This is a must-see. Everyone I know despised it. Despised it. Actually, were... Now, the difficulty of one of the reviewers, who is a good friend of mine, is that he's kind of a Napoleon expert, oh. as far as we'll you know, historically that, yeah. speaking. So it was it, it's it's not it's consistent. The it's not consistent. Right. But the other, uh, I've I've have like seven or eight people I know who've seen this in the last week. Uh, strange, but across the board responses to Joaquin Phoenix's uh, performance that it was extremely flat. Hmm. extremely flat. So I don't, nobody knew if that was 
his read on who Napoleon was. Right. And that's why he was doing it. But it, everybody mentioned that it, within the first Strange performance. 30 seconds. Yeah. Listen, I mean, if you know Joaquin Phoenix from his other films, he, he's just a strange guy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so Ridley Scott, of course, you know, famous for aliens. aliens right. Uh, and all those things. You would think the combination of those two creative minds would come up with something. I'm going into it with a little trepidation, to be honest. Yeah. It's um, anything you see like that, like a historical biopic. Mm hmm. Is not necessarily historically accurate. Right. You have right. to know that, right? Yeah. I don't know. So that's just a small sampling of what's out there right now. Yeah. And of course, you know, the holidays, like I said, as we started the conversation, this is the time. If if you're not a movie person, it's a good time to go to the movies because you're going to find something, I think, for everybody. So if, you know, I never saw Oppenheimer and I really wanted to, but yeah. you know how terrible I am at seeing movies right. in the theater. Um is it going to be a different experience seeing it on television? Oh, 100%. Is it really? Yeah, it's one of those films. It was made for the big screen. We saw it on IMAX. Okay. Uh, you know, and there's no true IMAX here in the city of Pittsburgh, but as close to IMAX as you're going to get. I wanted to see it on the big screen. Okay. But not to say you shouldn't see it on the little screen of television. Right. No. Huh. All right. Well, maybe over Christmas I'll have an opportunity to see a movie. Go. I wonder if Oppenheimer will be in theaters. Maybe it'll come back. I mean, It might, know, around the holidays. They give it a little push there. Yeah, but go out and see a movie. It's okay. very enjoyable. All right. Coming up next, we're going to turn our attention to food because it's a Friday. Mm-hmm. The world's smelliest cheese, and Britain apparently can't get enough of it. Just the other day, I was down at uh, the Pennsylvania Macaroni Company. Penmac. Called Penmac, by those of us who know. On Penn Avenue in the Strip District. And uh, I was there at a perfect time. I talked about this a couple days ago on the air. And there weren't very many people at the cheese counter, so I thought I would avail myself of the moment. And so I walked up to the cheesemonger, and I said, hey, I've got some questions about cheese. Well, I was there for probably 20 minutes Hmm. getting a little cheese lesson. There's something about the world of cheese it's like the world of wine where people feel very strongly about it and there are many levels of expertise and taste yes right and oftentimes they butt up against each other people are very particular about it there are connoisseurs and with cheese as like you said with wine there's a little bit of snobbery yes mm mm-hmm. For sure. Which I like because you like someone who's passionate about something. I do. Who would, you know, turn up their nose at a slice of (laughs) American cheese. Right? Yes. So uh, in today's times, there is a cheese, they say, that uh, may stand alone in proud fetidness, that is. Oh, smelly cheese. Mm -hmm. Rory Stone, who's 59 years old, he's a cheesemaker at the Highland Fine Cheeses in Scotland has been overrun with orders for a washed rind cheese called the Minger, which he is billing as the most putrid-smelling cheese in the world. (laughs) Quote, everybody's still asking for samples, and it just hasn't stopped, he said in an interview. And I find it really bizarre. I mean, it is a smelly cheese, but it is a quite lovely flavor. So the only problem now is I've run out of cheese. Mr. Stone, whose parents were also cheesemakers, began selling the Minger seven years ago. Minger is slang for someone who is ugly or smells bad. There are some urban dictionary definitions which are a bit rude, Mr. Stone says. However, supermarkets initially rejected the cheese, dismissing the smell as a gimmick, 
but it's sold well enough in independent cheese shops that it has won several awards, including Best Special of Cheese at the Royal Highland Show mm, in really? Edinburgh. Okay. This week, however, a British supermarket chain announced that it would stock the cheese in its stores, making it widely available for the first time. Uh, the Cheese News, which is apparently a cheese, a cheese uh, industry newspaper, described the Minger as pungent. It gave rise to a low-grade media frenzy, which Mr. Stone, giving interviews to The Telegraph and the BBC, says he fully understands it is pungent and then more. He said he did not set out to create the world's most smelliest cheese, but he had encountered someone who applied that superlative to the Minger, and of course he embraced it. Why not? He said, I think it was like a throwaway because you can't prove something like that. You can't qualify it, quantify it. Mm -hmm. Who knows what a bad smell is? I mean, there's no sliding scale. Smelly cheeses have been an object of culinary fascination for decades. Yes. Right? Yeah. I mean, if you go to the aforementioned Penn Mac counter. That's why I went. And say, what, to look for smelly cheese? Yes, I actually went to to have a discussion about smelly cheese. Really? Uh, Here's a quote. I think that there are a small group of people out there that just love smelly cheese. Now, listen, when I was courting my wife in New York City, she took me to a cheese shop and she said, please give me this smelly cheese. And she took me home to her apartment and we had four or five different smelly cheeses. And? They were disgusting. (laughs) But she somehow loved the smelly All cheese. All of them. All of them. Yeah. So now, were any of them blue cheeses, or they were just they were beyond the blue they cheese were beyond. and smelliness? They were yeah. so beyond. They were like wet, fetid socks. Is the best description. Now, did they taste like that? You know, it's hard because when you, you take a piece of something and put it in your mouth, you're it, it passes by your nose, so you're inhaling the smell, and so of course it it ruins at least to me the taste. Yeah. I don't know. There are those among us, though, who like to smell. So when you went to Penn Mac, what did you come up with? The well, Munger? Well, no. The Minger, you mean? No. I, I didn't come up with the Minger because I wanted to uh, restrict my questions to blue cheeses, mm-hmm. which some people which, which people think of as stinky cheese until they are confronted with the real stinky cheeses, I guess. Right. Okay. So which, the Minger uh, is described as a um, smooth texture, a minty flavor, and a cabbagey aroma. Hmm. Mm. But it is not there in the taste. He, uh, uh, the aforementioned Mr. Stone says, I don't know that we could get the smell to be so very rich, so horrendous. I didn't know we'd be good at that. I remember walking into the store and thinking, oh, my gosh, we've hit it. And other people recoiling in horror. And I'm going, well, that's what washed rind should smell like, the horror of smelly cheese. Is there anything beneficial for you health-wise in smelly cheese, I wonder? I don't know. That's a good question. But I, if you're going to enjoy cheese, I don't necessarily need the smell. No. Okay. But like bring it back to the other side of it. The blue cheese, the blue stinky cheeses, yeah. the Roquefort, your Gorgonzola, mm-hmm. your, your, you know, how do you feel about the, your Stilton? I'm fine. Because it's delicious. It sure is. Good afternoon and welcome to the five o'clock hour of the ride home, the Friday edition, Kath, and um, mm-hmm. this is it. This is it. The weekend? Well, yes, the weekend coming. I'm still, my brain is kind of still with last night's Steeler game, to be mm-hmm. honest with you, which I only watched one half of. I left at the half for the right. first time in 
recorded memory, I think, because I was so emotionally despondent. Well, that's why the weekend is good, though, because the weekend has begun. Yeah, and there are going to be different things to look at. And we will. Thank you. Oh, wow. (laughs) There you go. The weekend has begun. Oh, so you were trying to get me to say I that. I was. I'd yeah, say, but then I forgot. You I fell into despair. You. Sorry. Right, right. right. Uh-huh. So the weekend That's has begun. what happens with a Steeler game like that. It just throws you off. Well, you know, I was at the game last night, and leaving the game, as abysmal as it was, the, the rotten, foul mood did not follow people out of the stadium. It did not. Really? You would people, were of, people were of good I'm not saying that they were of humor. good cheer. Okay. But... There weren't any riots or anything like that. I mean, you know, people just kind of got on with it. Like, okay, that was a bad game, and we're just going to go home now. I felt good. It, it helped me with the despair of the horrendous loss. Okay, so loss. you felt better being at the game I than did. I felt watching it on television. I agree. Yeah, okay. that's no doubt about it, huh. right? Yeah. The poison didn't really affect Heinz Field, at least in the stands. There were some, you know, disparate voices. But overall, I'm did not saying... Did the team look as bad in person as they looked on TV? Probably worse. <laughs> Because you saw it from above. It was like the God view. Oh, think, oh this my is horrible. Gosh. Yeah. Such is life. Yeah, such is life. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so we look forward to the weekend. And, of course, we look forward to the 5 o'clock hour. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, around 5.30, we're going to be doing the weekend review. Mm-hmm. What did we like? What mm-hmm. did we eat? What did we listen to? Yep. What did we watch? All those things. Yes, also uh, things to do in Pittsburgh this weekend. Very nice. All right. Um, this is the time of year. At least I, I remember this. Growing up, Christmas time, for whatever reason in our family, was the time when you went to visit other churches. Mm-hmm. Is yep. that a thing in your family? I did family? that too. Really? wonder why. Yeah. I don't. Well, my mom used to take me down to see different uh, crushes. Oh, yeah, of course. So we'd go in and out of First Prez mm-hmm, and Trinity mm-hmm. uh, on uh, 6th Avenue or mm-hmm. 6th Street. Smithfield Street. Uh, yeah. yeah, 6th. Yeah. Uh, and then um, we would go, I mean, wherever there was a church, we would go inside and see their crash at Christmas time. Because the churches generally were open, of course, Isn't right? That sad? Yeah, it is sad. Have you seen the crash uh, at the U.S. Steel Plaza? I saw it on uh, online. It You've looks- never seen it in person? No. It's been like 25 years. I thought there was a new one this year. No, no. It's the same one. I'd never have. Isn't really? that horrible? What's wrong with me? Why would I not do that? That's worth a visit. Yeah. I, I, it's, it looks so beautiful. It is beautiful. I mean, you can literally drive down Grand Street in your car and people just, you know, they park. Yeah. And you just go over and see it. It's gigantic. I mean, it's it's hard to overstate how massive it is. It's hard to overstate how ridiculous it is that I've never seen it. Well, I'm not going to cast aspersions. Thank make, you. Make a point of getting down there. Yeah, okay? I right. definitely want to. Yeah. Yeah, so we would go and visit. So have you visited other churches? I mean, I'm not even saying like, so you did just a, a visit to see something. You weren't necessarily there for the um, for the worship. I did that a lot, though, when I was growing up. Did I you? went to see other churches, you know, at their Christmas cantata, or I'd go to, my mom and I would go to hear the Messiah somewhere. Oh, your mom, she, or, she dragged you oh, with her. Yeah, my mom was also an organist, so we'd go to hear, an, you know, an organ concert at Heinz Chapel or, oh yeah, I did a lot of that. So isn't it interesting? I often wonder, like like myself, why is it that I'm interested in faith the way that I am? What was it about growing, you're growing up, up and you're growing up, mm-hmm. right? I mean, not a lot of people are like this. I know. Right? It's just, it's did, a- Did you go to see different churches? Only at Christmas time. Well, we would go and, you know. And would you go to see the creches or was there another reason? We'd go to see the churches. 
You oh, know, just to look at them. Well, because the Catholic churches were always decorated for Christmas, right? Of which I'm sure most churches were. So there were creches, there were flowers, there were you know different altar arrangements, mm. those kind of things. You know, I'm not saying we went to 30 churches, right. but you know, yeah, we went yeah, to yeah. five or six, and especially you know within the area of like you know Swissvale or Braddock or you know whatever, you we would just kind of drive around. Did you? Well, we did this as kids. Well, we'd go visit churches. We'd also just drive around and look at Christmas lights. We did that too. Didn't you love it? I still remember the kinds of lights that people had in their houses, like in the neighborhood where my parents were. And I remember like when the, <laughs> I remember like we'd go, we'd drive around and look at lights and I would get annoyed if the people wouldn't have this, <laughs> like, like it's the White House and they're obligated or something. Like, I'm knock on their I was door. like, what's going on? What happened to your big tree, you guys? You've, right. you've had it for all this time. So uh, some people still decorate with lights, not nearly as much as when we were kids. No, huh? What What's happened, at least from my perspective, is that inflatables have overtaken lights. Which is... A right? terrible downturn in society. I saw an article on the paper the other day. Uh, there's a town, a small town. I forget where this little town is. Like in the middle of nowhere where there's an empty lot and someone, a mysterious person in the town has put up a giant, and I mean giant, like a 25-foot Santa inflatable. That's And like the mystery of the town is like... Who did it? Who did this? And how could they even do it? It's so massive. And, of course, the whole town is abuzz with this mystery. And the kids are like, whoa, it's this gigantic Santa that's there. You know, how cool is that? Can you imagine how loud it is? The fan? Yes. Yeah. And can you imagine how often Santa, the tw- all 25 feet of him, is lying on the grass, deflated? and There's an inflatable in our neighborhood of a Santa like in a ch- coming down a chimney. But it's not enough air for Santa to be fully. Um, so it's kind of like he's bent, right? And it, like hitting the chimney at a very right. odd angle, right? So is it feel bad is for it, Santa? Is it okay to say why, then? Why would you do that? Well, it's good intentions. Oh yeah. I mean, of I course. would not necessarily. I mean, I like as silly as they are. I. Do you uh, like an inflatable? I'm not saying I'm going to go and say whoop de doo about an inflatable. I wouldn't own an inflatable, but I appreciate people are, you know, people love it so yeah. much they do the inflatable. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The problem is the sadness of the deflated inflatables. Which is what happens about 75% of the inflatable time. Right. But the Christmas lights themselves, fabulous. All right. Coming up next, St. Nicholas, not Santa, not the 25 foot Santa Claus we were just talking about, but the original guy, St. Nick. Who was he? We'll talk about it next. Stay close. Friday edition, The Ride Home. Okay, so just a minute ago, we were talking about Santa inflatables that have infected (laughs) every suburban corner, it feels. But St. Nicholas, the man. Mm -hmm. Now, what separates the man from the myth? I bet it's a lot. A gigantic gulf. Frederica Matthews Green is back with us again. Frederica, over the many years, has been a regular guest on our show. She is the author of The Jesus Prayer, the ancient desert prayer that tunes the heart to God, and Welcome to the Orthodox Church, an introduction to Eastern Christianity. Frederica, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Hello, Merry Christmas to you guys, too. So tell us, Frederica, about the guy, the original Saint Nick. Yes, well, he was a, a person, a saint, and you can kind of see how Saint Nicholas could be 
corrupted into Santa Claus. And that's what happened to the name. But he was a bishop. He was born in the city of Mira, which is now Dimri in Turkish, uh, Turkey, present-day Turkey, about the year 270. He grew up as a very pious child and then eventually became uh, the bishop of his city. And he is known for several things, particularly uh, giving to the poor and giving to children. Hmm. So not a big stretch then, Frederica, to be the Santa of Louis today. (laughs) No, no. And the story people, if they know any of the stories, this is the one they know, is that there was a man with three daughters, and he could not marry them because he didn't have a dowry. He didn't have enough money. And so he was considering a terrible thing, which is to put one of them out as a prostitute to make money so at least two of them could get married. Um, St. Nicholas intuited this, I suppose. Um, God would sometimes whisper in his ear and tell him things. So as he was walking by the house one night, he threw a little bag of gold inside the window where the girls were sleeping, and it fell into the shoe of one of them. That became her dowry, so she was able to marry and go out. And the subsequent two nights, St. Nicholas did the same thing, throwing a little bag of gold through the window, and it landed in a shoe. So that's the reason that um, many Eastern Christians, and some Western ones as well, set out their boots or their shoes on the evening of December the 5th. And when they get up on the 6th, they find um, goodies and candy and things like that. But no bags of gold. No, unfortunately. Though when I was a child, people could buy chocolate coins in gold foil. Yes. And those were pretty exciting. Yeah. Okay. So a reasonable facsimile thereof of the gold coins. Hmm. (laughs) Not spendable, but delicious. (laughs) So... uh, you mentioned that it was in uh, the uh, 200s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The third century that um, that St. Nick lived. But did you say what country? Yes. The um, country then, I think, was called, I think it was Greece. But in, on the modern, modern-day map, it's Turkey. Okay. And it's on the southern coast, right there on the coast, which is the reason that something happened to the church where he where he was the pastor, where he was the bishop, the um, the line of the tide changed. Gradually, the river came into the city more and more, and finally, it filled up the church with silt. And after that, nobody knew it was there. It was rediscovered in the 19th century and cleared out. And so they began having church again there. And then excavation showed there was another church or another church floor a few feet below the current church. And that was the original church where St. Nicholas had served. You can see photos of this online. No kidding. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would be probably around 300. He was born 270, probably around 300. He was working as a pastor and as a bishop. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's uh, it's wonderful what they've been able able to accomplish and to learn about him. Um, he's also known as the patron of sailors because he repeatedly would show up. It was a seacoast town. He'd show up in ships that were at risk from a storm and quieting it. So it's uh, like children, the poor, sailors, 
And the last one is for people who have been unjustly accused. The emperor had condemned three soldiers to death, and um, St. Nicholas walked up on the platform and seized the sword from the hand of the executioner and proclaimed that they were innocent and he could prove it. And it turned out it was the case that the men were innocent and their lives were spared. So that's the third major thing that we we think about when we think of St. Nicholas. So that's interesting, Frederica. What does that say about us as a world, Mm -hmm. that there is someone Mm -hmm. who is good and holy and uh, doing good and holy things, but we've taken that goodness and that holiness and then Mm -hmm. turned it into this gigantic commercial shopping spree? Yes, yes. Isn't that tragic? Um, the, the theme of St. Nicholas should be giving rather than receiving and being faithful to God and listening for that little whisper and doing what God is calling you to do, even courageously when necessary. And instead, it's become kind of trashed, hasn't it? Yes. With the association, with it, it's kind of like every, every good thing has been wrung and squeezed out of it like a sponge. Right. And, And yet St. Nicholas himself, as an Orthodox Christian, I would say, of course, he's in paradise now. He's still alive. He's still praying for us, and we can ask for his prayers. Now, there are those families, Frederica, Christian believers, who would say, we love Jesus, and we don't need Santa Mm -hmm. Claus, right? I mean, (laughs) even even having Santa Claus is an insult. Right. Right, right. How do you look at that, Frederica? I know, I know. Um, It reminds me of, I I had an evangelical Protestant neighbor, and I loved her very much. We had a good relationship. But after I'd written something about asking for the saints to pray for us, she said exactly that to me. We met on the sidewalk, and she said, well, I'm just going to go ahead and go straight to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, if that's what you want, I won't pray for you anymore. And we, and that's the point. Um, we ask our friends on earth to pray for us. We, we don't hesitate to do that. We don't think that that counts against going to the Lord directly. And what Orthodox and Catholics and perhaps some others would say is that these saints are alive in paradise, and they can hear us, and we can ask them. You don't get in the conversation or try to make them appear, but you can ask them to pray for you. Frederica Matthews Green is with us. Frederica is the author of a whole bunch of stuff, including two books, The Jesus Prayer, The Ancient Desert Prayer That Tunes the Heart to God, and Welcome to the Orthodox Church, An Introduction to Eastern Christianity. So, Frederica, from your perspective, you don't feel like we need to choose between a, um, a Christmas that includes Jesus exclusively or a Christmas that includes Santa? I don't think we have to choose. I think that St. Nicholas celebrated a Christmas that included included Jesus, yes. of course, and then he becomes part of the family. He's part of the family, and he belongs to all Christians everywhere. Yes. So, Frederica, as an Orthodox Christian, um, your Christmas is a little different than ours time-wise, isn't it? It, well, there are, and this is confusing, there are some Orthodox that are on the old calendar, and everything they do is 13 days after the Western calendar. And then there are some that are on the contemporary calendar, and that would include most Orthodox in America. 
um, there are some there are some Russian churches that adhere to the old calendar. But we'll be there um, December twenty fifth, just like the rest of you. <laughs> Good, excellent. Wow, um, Frederica, when you um, are looking at, uh, we've been talking in today's show about visiting other churches, about relationships that can happen between people of different denominations, um, and uh, you know, with all of the writing that you've done over your long career. Um, how has that been helpful to you, getting to know people who are not from the Orthodox persuasion or, you know, communing with writers who come at things from a different perspective? Yes, yes, very much so. And I was, in fact, raised as a Catholic in the, in the Latin Mass as I grew up and then left the Christian faith entirely and came back to be Episcopalian. And then I wrote for many Protestant and evangelical magazines and spoke on many Protestant and Catholic campuses. So I've had a wide array of experiences. It's very enriching to me. Yes. There are things that I understood from my earlier life, but I, I learn more and more all the time. I think the most important thing is to love Jesus, isn't it? Yes. Um, you know, if, if you've got that, then then we are brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. no matter what church it is. Yeah. And we all look forward to his birth with joy and anticipation. And I just love that we can all unite on that one thing, I that agree. Jesus Christ is born and we love him. Frederica, just before you joined us, Kath and I were talking on air about what is it, you know, that, I mean, you're, you're similar to us in many ways, that we're interested in faith, religion, Jesus, and, you know, what our makeups are so disparate from each other. I mean, your life is different than mine and Kath's, but, you know, there's something that draws us together, mm-hmm. that discovery mm-hmm. and the mystery of faith, the uniqueness of what it is, and, you know, the way that society is today people look at religion uh, askance, maybe so differently than whenever we did. Of course, you know, many people fall away from their faith, but then people do come back to their faith, which I think is your story and my story as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. But there's something that's very unique about that. And I feel as though, you know, the modern world is, you know, uh, sort of pushing that further and further away from people, that religion is an oddity and not something that's life-giving and essential to us. That's that's so true. And I think coming from another direction is the people who are searching for spiritual experiences through taking LSD or trying to commune with ghosts or, or trying to do spells and witchcraft. It's that same hunger to know that there's something beyond this visible material world or something hidden within it, maybe. Um, they are like us more than they are like the materialists and the atheists. They are young. Um, it's the materialists and atheists that are passing through. Their time on the stage is over. And what we'll most have to deal with in the future, I think, is those people who they get involved in some spiritual things and they're going to encounter some things that are very real and very scary and very hostile mm-hmm. and lying. And that's what sends them running back to Christ. They're not going to go back to atheism or materialism. They will come fleeing for somebody that is safe and that loves them and that can show them the light and bring them to the light. I think, you know, I hope, I expect that we will see many of them coming to Christ in the decades up 
Frederica Matthews Green is the author of Welcome to the Orthodox Church, an Introduction to Eastern Christianity. Frederica, we won't talk to you before the holidays, so on behalf of John, all of us here, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you all, too. Yeah, we're grateful for your presence on the show. And a prosperous 2024. Mm -hmm. Frederica Matthews Green. We'll take a, a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about typewriters, and not just any typewriters. Typewriters of the famous, of the literary set, and what is going to happen soon to those typewriters. That's next in the Ride Home. Years ago, when we bought our first house, I crawled up one Saturday afternoon into the attic. And there in the far corner was a old royal typewriter. I brought it down, dusted it off, and at the time, my son was about three or four years old, and he was fascinated. And so for at least the next decade, that was his typewriter. He'd put paper in it, taught himself how to type, and he would bang away at the thing. It was an oddity. And I think increasingly, when you see someone who uses a typewriter, it evokes a different time and a different place. Well, now there is an auction that is going to happen very soon, which will showcase and sell the typewriters of Ernest Hemingway, Andy Rooney, Shirley Temple, (laughs) the Unabomber, and many, many more typewriters, which will all reach somewhat of a pretty penny. I think the idea of the typewriter and looking at it versus what we do now on a computer keyboard is fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Um, I I can't imagine wanting or needing a typewriter, uh, some, somebody else's typewriter. Well, I can understand that. I it's, mean, I like looking at it because it's indicative of the time in which they were producing their work, whatever it is. I like that. It's very intimate to think someone's fingertips are on a piece of metal or plastic or whatnot, and your fingertips are at the same place, that's extremely intimate, right? I don't feel that way. Really? No. Holding the typewriter or typing on the same typewriter that Tennessee Williams. Can you imagine that? Maya Angelou, John Lennon and mm-hmm. his typewriter. I mean, all these things. So there's a guy. His, um, his name is uh, Stanley Oberoff, and... Uh, He was once typing on Joe DiMaggio's old typewriter, and there were cut-up shards of his expired bank card, Joe DiMaggio's bank card, (laughs) inside the typewriter. He found little tiny pieces while he was cleaning it. Uh, So this guy, uh, Sorboff, he's going to sell all of his typewriters at an auction, 33 of his most beloved machines. He said it's been a privilege owning them. But he looks to get rid of them. The Ernest Hemingway typewriter, Angela Jolie once tried to purchase. Angelina Angelina Jolie once tried to purchase a typewriter for her then husband Brad Pitt. She agreed to sell it to buy it for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. But at the last minute, she told this man, "Well, I want my husband to type on it." He said, "The deal is off. No one's going to type on this typewriter." Oh, and that was the end. It fell through. Yep. 
Okay, Cormac McCarthy, you know, uh, terrific American novelist. Sure. Uh, he, he, who has just passed away within the last year, he wrote The Road and Blood Meridian and oh. um, One uh, kind, No right. Country for Old Men. Yep. Anyway, when he uh, was, I don't know how old, it was in 09, he auctioned off his uh, typewriter. Christie's actually did it for him. It fetched $254,500. Okay. Um, it was an Olivetti Laterra 32. He said he literally wrote millions of words on it. So he auctioned it off, and uh, he said at the auction that he purchased it for $50. And you know what he did after he auctioned it off? What's that? He went online and bought another one for $50. <laughs> the same model. Yeah. Right. Because it didn't mean anything to him. Of course not, right? But to other people who love him, right? Tom Hanks, a great collector of typewriters. Really? Right? Oh, yeah. Tom Hanks is known for his huge typewriter collection. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Much more to come. We can review next on The Ride Home. It's been another week. That means it's time for John and Kathy's Week in Review. What was everyone talking about this week? Congressional hearings, university presidents, Mm -hmm. and anti-Semitism and the inability or unwillingness to speak out. I think that was a lot of people's minds this week. I agree. Mm -hmm. I would also say people are talking about George Santos being (laughs) tossed out of Congress. Please, enough of that guy. Um, I think Hunter Biden is back in the news. Yes, he is. And the Steelers stink. The Steelers are terrible. Yeah, all those things. What was a conversation that made you think? We had a lot of good conversations, I think, uh, this past week. However, the most impactful one for me and the most deeply emotional one was yesterday at 510. Sigart talking about growing up, his parents, deeply militant atheists, along with hardcore communists, and not only his parents, but his grandparents. So there's Sai, a young boy growing up in Brooklyn and had no Christmas whatsoever. As a matter of fact, Christmas Day, No. no, it was an angry, it was a cautionary tale. I mean, that's a heartbreaker. And then how does God work in people's lives where there's Sai growing up under those circumstances and coming to Christ? He talked about his first Christmas tree some 25 years after the fact and how emotional he was at that. Yeah. It's a great story. Cy Gart. Yeah. Cy Gart's a monthly um, guest on our show because of his biochemistry. Mm-hmm. And so we usually talk about science. So it was even more fascinating to talk about his background in have such a, I don't know, like a, an an emotional conversation versus the ones we normally have with him, we which sure are just did. essentially scientific. I mean, God found science. Yeah, boy, that's really, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, I picked, though, Chris Martin, who is a social media uh, professional, and uh, he was on our show Thursday at 435 talking about how Instagram addicted your teenager because she's worth $270 million to them. Mm-hmm. Um, we basically talked about a lot of the conversation that's been going around online and a lot of the investigatory pieces or investigative pieces um, on how little, truly, there's no other conclusion to draw, how little Meta, the company that runs Facebook and Instagram, really cares about any kind of harm that could come no. to a teenager or young person on social media. No, our children are profit centers. It truly is just profit. And so they can say, oh, yeah, we understand that there are you know, child predators that are there. We understand that there's trafficking that happens there. We're really doing our best to battle it. I don't buy it. No. 
I just don't. I don't see any way that a person of reason could. They could buy want it. our kids they as really, zombies. Yep, they really do. What are you reading? I, I'm still reading, which this, this to me is my f- absolute favorite time of year. So I'm deep into the uh, Tish Warren Isamakali book uh, on Advent mm. from InterVarsity Press. It is so, it's careful and quiet reading for me. Uh, it's a thin volume, maybe 50 or 60 pages or whatnot, but really chock full of great love and insight especially here in this Advent season. So I highly recommend it. It's a very slow read for me, which I am enjoying mm. deeply. Mm. Yeah. Advent. Okay. Tish Harrison Warren, Isama Kali. Uh, I am reading uh, a book called Paris by Edward Rutherford. Um, he is a writer who takes apart giant civilizations and uh, by tiny stories about mm, them. Mm. So he wrote a book called London. He wrote a book called New York. He wrote a book called Russia, yeah. China. Um, anyway, it's a slim volume at 832 pages. Oh, my gosh. But, boy, it's really fascinating. Is it the so history of Paris? It's kind of the history of Paris told through stories about individuals from different centuries, from different parts of the city, different career paths. Ooh, I, love this. I mean, it's really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, is it, are you reading it or is it an audiobook? It's an audiobook. Uh-huh. And uh, so far, the performance is very strong. Excellent. And so I'm reading it with a friend. Mm. So uh, we'll see how we do 832 pages later. What did you eat? Well, we had the uh, Word of Him Christmas party here on Wednesday. And since that time, Mm -hmm. by my own estimation, I've eaten six pieces (laughs) of Springhouse pie. There is pie in that refrigerator in the kitchen down the hall here. Mm -hmm. And it sings my song. It calls my name. So I have eaten the entirety of the cherry pie. Yeah. And I'm now moving on to the apple pie. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I had had one piece of chocolate cream Mm -hmm. and... Because that's what I was going to bring up. The chocolate cream was so delicious. And I did taste the cherry and I thought it was wonderful. Mm -hmm. But it didn't hit quite the tone tone Mm -hmm. of that chocolate cream that I just loved so much. Different strokes. You know what? It's just been pie, 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 pie pie, pie here at the station. So good. Mm -hmm. What did you watch? I watched a really, really great movie this week. It's on Netflix. It's called The Dig. And it stars Ralph Fiennes and uh, uh, Carey Mulligan. It is a fascinating film. It's a story uh, set in the British countryside, truly right on the very, very cusp of World War II. And Ralph Fiennes plays a bit of a curmudgeon, sort of amateur, but in that amateur, also a professional archaeologist. And uh, a woman who lives on an estate, Carey Mulligan, has these mounds in these fields. And she calls Ralph Fiennes to this island where she lives on, off the British coast, and said, I'm not sure what's here, but I'd like you to uncover them. Would you dig? And so there's this back and forth, but what he uncovers and the stories of the people in this movie, the woman, Mm. the man, the child, the community, it's really fascinating. It's uh, PG-13. It's called The Dig, and it's on Netflix. Hmm. All right. That sounds good. Um, I've been watching comedy. Oh. Yeah. How can you? Because I just feel like it's mm-hmm. helpful for my uh, for my mental state. And uh, my husband and I turned to Sebastian Maniscalco's uh, Netflix show called Why Would You Do That? 
<laughs> Why would you do that? And uh, we, it's probably the fifth or more time we've watched it, but mm. it's been a while. It's been about a year. Yeah. It is hilarious. If you need a laugh, you should look. So uh, Sebastian's first one, which is probably my favorite, which is Aren't You Embarrassed? Yeah. But Why Would You Do That is outstanding. Highly recommend it. What was the best news you heard this week? The best news for me is that I've been pretty uh, transparent about this. I've gone through a season of sickness and sorrow. I don't think there's any other way to state this. And what I felt, and I think that Advent is doing this for me, that I've moved, I've turned ever so slightly from the sickness and the sorrow to joy. Mm. That's where I am. That's the good news for me this week. And time moves so slowly, especially, I think, at least for me, and I think this is just the human condition, that we tend to, self-indicting, I tend to wallow in sickness and sorrow, cover it like a blanket. And joy often feels far away or elusive. It's hard to grab hold of. But it is here in my life, and I am grateful for that at this Advent season. Mm, I love that. Good news. Well, uh, the best news I heard this week is I was in Penn Mac uh, down in the Strip doing some shopping, getting some cheese and garlic and olive oil and the things you would go to Penn Mac for. And I was back in that uh, in the freezer section, which is kind of you, you've passed the cheese and you're across from the deli. And I was on my knees and I was <laughs> digging in the freezer for the uh, frozen pizza dough. Yeah. And the music came on, which it wasn't on before. Mm. And it was an old Christmas song. It wasn't that it was what song it was. But it was an old recording. It sounded like it was on an LP, mm. right? And it instantly, I mean, with my head in the freezer and I was on my knees, it took me back to being a pen Mac with my dad when I was a little kid. Wow. I mean, it was like it was like somebody snapped their fingers and I could remember being down there and list and smelling everything, you know what I mean? And looking around and just shocked by everybody and, you know, just him kind of guiding me around. And I was just, I was so grateful for all that time I spent down at the strip with my dad. Fabulous. And, uh, that's the power of music. Yeah, it is. What have you been listening to? All right. Well, speaking of the power of music, this Advent song. from a group they're known as a kin collective let all mortal flesh keep silence this goes back to uh habaka 220 let all the earth keep silence before him the thread of this song yeah. is from 275 it's a beautiful piece kin collective I, if, if you like that sound look these people up on youtube hmm. well also in the holiday spirit over the hills and everywhere. Don't tell 
That's beautiful. Oh, Who's that? And that's Melvin Crispel the third. Let's go tell it on the mountain with uh, Maverick City. Outstanding. It is just so good. It's the anyway, season. Great it music. is the season. Enjoy it. Well, it really truly is officially the weekend, and it looks to be a pretty nice weekend weather-wise, so you might want to get out and about, especially with the season upon us. Here's a few things you can do this weekend. The Lawrenceville Cookie Tour. (laughs) From noon to 5 on Saturday and Sunday, transforming the Lawrenceville Business District along Butler Street and Penn Avenue into a 30-block-long cookie table. Stop it. The tour highlights holiday shopping at nearly 80 stores, the most ever in the 26th annual event. Two trolleys will be available to transport guests to Upper, Central, and Lower Lawrenceville. The event is hosted by the Lawrenceville Corporation, and you can go out and get cookie after cookie after cookie. You buy a tag, and you go shopping for cookies. No way. Mm -hmm. Saturday and Sunday, (gasps) noon to five. And it's going to be like 60 degrees. Yep. We Want the Funk Festival is this weekend with Jeffrey Osborne and the Average White Band. Get out. Featuring Jane Eugene Friday and Saturday at the August Wilson African American Cultural Center downtown. There will also be an after party on Friday. Jeffrey Osborne is 75. He brings his tenor voice on the stage to deliver four decades of hits from four Grammy nominations. Yeah, That was Jeffrey Osborne, wasn't it? Yep, sure was. Four Grammy nominations, five gold and platinum albums. It's uh, this weekend, the We Want the Funk Festival. Okay. Uh, also, uh, out and about, uh, the I Made It Last Minute Shopping tomorrow, Saturday the 9th, uh, starts from noon to 5. You can shop for unique handmade holiday gifts at the I Made It Last Minute Shopping, Rockwell Park in Pittsburgh's East End. It's um, by Construction Junction. Oh, Back okay. in the corner there. Got it. Also, a, a lot to see in theaters, the Celtic Woman's Christmas at the Benham Center downtown. Um, celebrate the holiday season with the celestial voices of multi-platinum Irish singing sensation Celtic Women with a full orchestra. Also, at the Public Theater, a Christmas story, The Play, backed by popular demand, last year's holiday hit, brings you newest Yuletide tradition as Ralphie Parker and company make their triumphant return to the O'Reilly stage. The Nutcracker is at the Benedum mm-hmm. downtown. Okay. Um, also, a musical Christmas carol, uh, not this weekend. Let's see, what's, what's the date today? The, the 8th. 8th. Oh, so next weekend, the musical Christmas Carol, which is surprising. Uh, it's late in the season for the musical Christmas Carol, but downtown has the People's Gas Holiday Market through December 24th in Market Square. I'll be there next week. And even though the weather's a little warm, the uh, ice rink at PPG Plaza is up and running if you are of the uh, ice maker or the ice skater thing. And uh, the Carnegie Science Center 
is uh, the uh, trains are up and running and the Christmas decorations are at the Carnegie Science Center. So lots to do mm. out and about. All right. Let me add a couple things to okay. that. Uh, the Heinz Chapel Choir, which is the choir of the University of Pittsburgh, yes. has their holiday concerts this weekend. Um, Sunday afternoon, I think tonight is sold out. Um, but you'd have to go online and see about the, uh, I think it's a 3 or 3.30 p.m. Uh, show on Sunday. And also Phipps Conservatory is full on holiday. Uh, so you can walk through Phipps inside and outside. Uh, it's especially fun to do at night mm. if you are able to do that. So I highly recommend it. I'm a member of Phipps and like to, you know, go out pump and them see up the beauty. Exactly. Whenever I can. Fabulous. All right. And you yourself, any particular plans this weekend? Yeah, uh, going to a birthday party for a friend on Saturday evening. Mm -hmm. But other than that, um, I am going to decorate my tree. I've had my tree up for two weeks, but it doesn't have anything on it but lights. Okay, yeah. Uh, uh, We are of the same. Okay. Our tree's up with lights, no decorations as of yet. And I keep on saying this, I've been meaning to put my lights up outside. Uh, Please be careful. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I'm going to do it this weekend. I mean, goodness yeah. gracious. No, we're fine. It'll, it'll be a little scaled down, and there will be no inflatable. <laughs> Christmas of 2022, uh, I made somewhere around <laughs> 105 dozen cookies. Oh, my gosh. Which is a shocking amount. And how many and, did you eat? I mean, I ate a lot. You did. But I didn't eat even a fraction of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, however... This year, I have not baked one cookie yet. Well, you're busy. I, I do have a lot going on this year. But it, it makes me feel slightly disconnected from myself. No, no. Don't, don't judge yourself here. You do more than enough for your family. Okay. Right? I believe you do. Right? So, we'll Plus see. all those... Tw- but, but I think I have to start baking some things. Well, I mean, let's... 20, 20 people are coming to your house for dinner? Yeah. On Christmas? Mm-hmm. Like you've got your hands full. Well, you really do. what are they going to eat for dessert? <laughs> hey, thanks as always for coming along for the ride home. We certainly appreciate your presence here with us. We hope that uh, whatever is going on in the weekend, you take time on Sunday to worship with those you love in a congregation that upholds Jesus Christ. Have a great weekend.